Welcome to Fanboy and the Hater, a podcast hosted and produced by Mike Hall and Jim Harris, where we discuss the best and worst in movies, TV, and pop culture, edited by Jim Harris, and music by Mike Hall. Alright, Jim, let's grab a Pepsi Free, hydrate some pizza, and change history, because we're going to go... Are we talking about Back to the Future? We are talking Back to the Future. The whole trilogy. Jim, what do you think about the Back to the Future trilogy as a whole? I think it is one of the greatest trilogies of all time. Of all time! Pun intended. I agree. Although, as I've gotten older, I've become less enamored with the second movie. So when I watched the trilogy... I usually just skip, air quotes. Air quotes. I usually jump right from the first movie to the third movie, but I still like all three movies. But my, the first and third are my favorite. Of the first and third, which one's your favorite? <sighs> Maybe we, that needs to be split up. So here's. I, I would have. It's tough to say. I, I actually think the story of the third one is probably the best, but I really appreciate how well executed the first movie is because it the first movie wasn't so well executed there might not have been a trilogy but even if there was it would have sucked so how good the first movie is is the foundation for why this is such an enduring franchise yeah yeah i'll agree uh the first one for me is probably the like the ideal best movie but the third one's my favorite to watch yeah, I can see that. Like I said, I think the story is just more entertaining. Right. We'll, um, we'll get back to story in a little bit here. Actually, not too much longer. But really, I guess I guess for me, when watching these movies, one of the biggest things that I'm impressed with is the characters and the cast. I, I think the cast in this was absolutely perfect. I don't know that they could possibly have done any better than what they did with the casting in this. So you got Michael J. Fox playing Marty McFly. You've got Christopher Lloyd playing Emmett Brown. You've got Leah Thompson playing uh, Lorraine Baines McFly Tannen, depending on which movie you're watching. Uh, Crispin Glover initially playing George McFly. Later, uh, Jeffrey Weissman uh, played him. Uh, that's a whole drama thing. Thomas Wilson, Thomas F. Wilson playing Biff. Fantastic. I think he ran away with the show. Uh, he honestly. did, and, and I was, I remember at the time thinking, it's like, this guy's going to have a long career in Hollywood. Yeah. It's like, he's pretty, he's like, he was not obviously one of the well-known actors. The other actors were much more well-known, not superstars, but well-known. Yeah. I was kind of surprised that he, that Thomas F. Wilson, I mean, he went on to be in other things, but he never really, that was pretty much the height of his career, I think, with those movies. Right. And I mean, a lot of them... A lot of the actors played multiple characters, but they were basically the same character yeah. in each one. Where his multiple characters, each one had slightly different... They were similar, but slightly different personalities and different ticks to them and different things. He really got to explore the differences in the characters. Whereas like Michael J. Fox, he played multiple characters, but 
they weren't really all that different. Like, no. slightly different voices, and that was about it. Whoa, this is heavy. Yeah, uh, Thomas F. Wilson had to do some actual acting. Yeah, and he was so and, good. And he did a phenomenal job. And, I mean, come on, Leah Thompson. Oh, yeah, I was always a, a huge Leah Thompson fan. Right. So, yeah, I, that's one of my disappointments is that as the trilogy progresses, she's in less and less of it. Right. And as time has progressed, no pun intended, she's been in things less and less as well. I, I would really would have liked to see her in more going forward. Unfortunately, she fell in love with a duck. Great Scott. <laughs> I like that movie. It's not a it's no, it's a terrible movie, but it's, I'm not it's, saying it's, it's enjoyable a, to watch. It's not a good movie, but yeah, it's a it's a an enjoyable bad movie. Yeah, for sure. Howard the Duck, if you don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Leah Thompson actually went on to do more stuff in television than she did in film, but yeah. I always enjoyed her stuff. It always comes down to that fucking duck. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, whoever I whoever did the casting on this, I don't I don't have their name on this, but Yeah, one of the best decisions of all time do you know who was originally supposed to play mike uh marty mcfly uh, remind me eric stoltz who is you don't know who eric stoltz is uh also a big uh 1980s uh movie guy i'm, I'm i know the name i'm struggling to come up you have the internet in front of you i'm struggling to come up with a, a movie that uh he was in but he was in quite a few movies in the 80s but he was originally cast as Marty McFly, and then got, uh, they were like, nah, this isn't quite working. Yeah, didn't they film like a third of the movie or something with him? Yeah, so that they, they started, so he was originally going to play the character, they filmed about a third of the scenes for the first movie, and they were like, this is not quite working, this is not clicking, and then they brought in Michael J. Fox to replace him, which was a great decision, because I can't imagine... Uh, how that would have the movie would have turned out if Eric Stoltz had stayed in the role because I just don't see it. I mean, that's I mean, I guess it's unfair to say because you could say that about a lot of movies and a lot of characters. Once an actor plays that character, it's difficult to imagine that character played by another yeah. actor. But Michael J. Fox is perfect for Marty McFly. Well, I was only half paying attention to you because I was trying to look this up while you were saying <laughs> that. It wasn't it like they 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 said no because he's just like really stiff and he wasn't really moving around what much and he wasn't playing it really comedically at all yeah he doesn't have that type of like the timing was off and didn't really fit with the other cast yeah. and stuff like that he wasn't getting along with the other cast either was he no he, he was a more well-known and well-established actor but i wouldn't say that comedy was his forte so yeah. he was an odd casting choice i think they went with a bigger name and then they just like this isn't working out too well because michael joy fox at that time was no more for television as well right he was in family ties and i think that was part of the issue because he was originally up for the role but he couldn't because of family ties right but then the timing ended up working out that he was able to take time off family ties to film this mm -hmm. and he ended up actually having to break contract with family ties in order to film the second and third movies when that when they did that as well mm -hmm. um i'm looking up his, he's got a lot of movies under his belt. Oh, Eric Stoltz is a good actor. But I've only heard of a handful of them. Okay. And ones that he was in that I have heard, not big roles. And yeah. So that's probably why I didn't know who he was. I'm about to say, he's been in, he, he's a good actor. I mean, he's been in a variety of movies, but it's hard to imagine uh, that he would have been Marty McFly or yeah. if he had stayed Marty McFly. Trying to look at his pictures here, too, to see if he jumps out at me and... I think he's just one of those guys that he kind of blends in. That's why I don't know who he is. 
Yeah, I mean, to me anyway. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, again, he was much more well known in in the 1980s than he is now. But yeah, I mean, yeah. it wasn't like an he wasn't like a, a top tier actor. But I mean, he was more well known back then, and he was probably a better name for them to put on the poster. But right. yeah, and that's probably uh, I, I guess for me too. I didn't really start watching movies till the 90s. Oh, okay. So the movies that were 80s movies that I ended up seeing were the big name ones that were still being played repeat, repeatedly, repeatedly, repetitively. <laughs> in the One 90s. of those three things. Yeah. Well, this is also another thing. Again, the differences in our age. I actually saw all these movies in the theater multiple times. I mean, this movie, the first movie came out in 1985. So I was 14 years old when this movie came out. So I saw it in the theaters a lot. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I guess let's kind of jump into we already started talking about storytelling a little bit. And so, yeah, the first movie came out in 85 and it was a massive success. And you can tell watching it that they had the a vision for the rest of the movies. Yes. And then they took it took four years before the next one came out. Two years of that was actually spent on creating all the sets and writing the scripts, getting the scripts right. Then they filmed those two back to back over 11 months and then released those two in 89 and 90, respectively. So I, I guess let's jump into storytelling in general because it was obvious they had a, a, a vision at least. Maybe not exact specifics, but they had an idea of what what a novel idea to actually have a vision for a trilogy of movies <laughs> of what's going to happen when you're at the very beginning. That's just crazy talk. And to take four years in between the first movie and the next movie to make sure that the next two in the trilogy actually made are good sense and, and made sense and yeah. worked together. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's just crazy, crazy talk. Of course, that can only happen 35 years ago. It's not something that would ever happen now. Right. Or in the last three to five years or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, the, the storytelling is, it's an incredibly well-written, it's a very tight, well-written story. Yeah. There's not a lot of, like, useless material in it, and it's... I think even when we rewatched it, which is now over a month ago, not that we haven't seen it numerous times throughout our lives. I just watched two and three this morning. Oh, you did? <laughs> <laughs> well, for a while there, we were getting together and watching one a weekend because we were yeah. actually we were going to record this a long time ago, but yeah. uh, life intervened. But I remember when we were rewatching the first movie, it's amazing how much foreshadowing happens in mm -hmm. like the first 10 minutes of the movie. It's like if you're paying attention to stuff that's happening in the background... All sorts of stuff is foreshadowed, not only for that movie, but like for the entire franchise. Yeah. It's like, it's amazing how how well they set stuff up that happens later. And then yep. when you go back to rewatch, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. So yeah, it's very, very well written. Yeah. And like in the second movie, when like Griff gets arrested... And they're like, oh, yeah, he's the great-great-grandson of Mad Dog Buford Tannen. Mad Dog. I hate that name. I hate it. You hear? And, you know, they just kind of set that up in the second movie, and you're like, what relevance is that? Right. And then the third movie, you're like, oh, sweet. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of that. There's, there's, I mean, that kind of goes into uh, another thing I want to talk about, jokes, but there's just a lot of consistency and a lot of callbacks between the movies and call forwards between the movies, too. Yes. And it's, like you said, very tight, very well done. I mean, it's, it writes the playbook. 
Yes, and it, that's one of the things I think that has made it, even though it's been like over 35 years now since the first movie came out, I think it's one of the reasons why the movie holds up so well Yeah, is because it's such a well-written story, and like you said, the cast is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So it's very well-acted, everyone is cast very well, and it's a very well-done movie. It's It's one of those things where it's like, I don't know, the 80s were not indicative of this. There were definitely a lot of bad movies back then. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's like you take a look at this movie. It's like, why don't they write movies this well anymore? It's like, this is just so well done. Uh, I mean, maybe it's just a formula. This specific formula is probably not very replicable. But it's like, pretty damn good movie in terms of its writing and execution. Yeah. Uh, which of the three movies, I guess you'd already said that you thought the third movie had the best story. I thought, it, I think, and I may be... My experience of that might be colored by the fact that it was different than the first two movies. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, as I mentioned off the top, over time, I've I've gotten a little bit less enamored with the second movie. I mean, I don't—it's still a good movie. I'll still watch it. But oftentimes, if I need my Back to the Future fix, I'll just watch the first and third movies. Because there's a part of a second movie that just basically kind of rehashes the first movie. So it's not really— terribly original so the third movie has more original material the second movie was more interesting to me in the 80s when it came out because it came out in 1989 so the vision of what 2015 might look like right that futuristic thing was cool in 1989 as we got closer and closer to 2015 it got less cool and more kind of disappointing right now jerk so i think that kind of worked against it and then again Revisiting basically the plot and story of the first movie is like, let's do something new. So yeah. that's why I think I like end up liking the third because it is a different story. So I would say I, I agree with the second one is after, you know, repeated watching the second one becomes less fun to watch for that reason. Mighty strong words, run. Because a lot of it is just kind of rehashing and revisiting, which the first time through is awesome. It's like, oh, it gives you a different perspective yes. of the things that had happened in the first one. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking about it when I was rewatching this morning, uh, those two, and I really think actually the second one has the best story of really? the three. Yes. Because you think about, so the first one, what is the story of the first one? Doc Brown invents the time machine. He's trying to show Marty. He gets shot. Marty accidentally travels back in time to get stuck in the fifties as to find work with the older or the younger Doc Brown <laughs> <laughs> to uh, get it to work again to get back. Right. That's a pretty simple storyline. Oh yeah, it's definitely and that's actually one of the reasons why I think it's not only is it a well written and tight movie, because it has a simple, simple story, story yeah. is one of the reasons why it's so solid. Which is kind of the same as in the third one is it's simple. Doc Brown gets stuck in the past. Marty has to go back and try to get him. Oh no, the, you know, that's something I want to bring up. These movies are not a very good commercial for DeLoreans. Because <laughs> that <laughs> fucking car breaks down multiple times every movie. Oh, yeah, there was a, a rash of, of purchases of DeLoreans in the late 80s <laughs> that resulted in a lot of very unhappy customers because it's a really crappy car. Yeah. It's cool looking, but it's a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so those are very simple stories. But then yes. the second one has a much more complicated storyline of a lot of back and forth and, and convolution of how does time travel work and what's going on here and and why are these things happening, which if you think too much might not really make sense. But 
as far as the storytelling goes of, oh no, something's really wrong in the future and we need to do something about it. Even though the scientist is saying, always saying we can't mess with time, but it's the future, so we can mess with future time, we just can't mess with past time. Great Scott. I know, this is heavy. But in that, while they're in the future, Biff steals it, goes back to the past, and then messes up the current. And then when they come back to the current, then he has to go back to the past to stop the thing that happened from the future. And it's just a much more, there's much more detail to that storyline. You can imagine why it took him two years to write it out and actually get it figured I, out. I agree, but it also comes back to why I don't like it. Like, I want to talk about some of the time travel stuff in a, in a bit. But to me, it's just like, in a way, the first movie... And, in, and to a certain extent, the entire franchise is science fiction for non-science fiction fans. Like, you don't have to be a fan of science fiction to watch these movies. They definitely, obviously, have a science fiction premise, time travel. But it's very simplistic in the first movie. And sometimes I feel like they felt like, oh, okay, this is technically science fiction. So shouldn't we ratchet up the sci-fi a little bit? And they tried to make things a little bit more complicated in the second movie. And that's part of the reason why I didn't like it. Because then that turns on my sci-fi brain of, no, now you're creating a whole bunch of paradoxes. And, and in fairness, every movie that does time travel in any way always causes these types of problems. Well, because we don't actually know. Well, we don't there's actually theories, know. But... But there's theories. But the thing that's interesting about the first movie is it's science, for the most part, scientifically sound science fiction because the core aspect of the time travel in the first movie is the grandfather's paradox which actually comes from Albert Einstein who theorized that if you actually could travel back to the past and prevent your grandmother and your grandfather from ever meeting you would disappear from existence because then your grandparents wouldn't have one of your parents who wouldn't have had you and you would be wiped from the timeline right. And that's actually the fundamental thing that is happening to Marty in the first movie. It mm -hmm. conveniently, again, for storytelling purposes, happens in slow motion. Because in reality, but again, it's a, it's a theory. It's not hard science. In reality, as soon as Marty stopped his dad from getting hit by the car, Marty should have blinked out of existence. Once he stopped his parents' romantic connection... Boom, bye-bye, Marty. But then we wouldn't have a movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, it, but other than that, other than it being Grandfather's Paradox in slow motion, giving them a chance to have a story to fix, it's light but sound science fiction. The second movie tries too hard to make time travel more complicated. I think in part because they felt they got mildly criticized for not being sci-fi enough and... It causes all sorts of problems, which we can come back to later. And that's probably why I don't like the second movie, in part. Fair enough. Yeah, I guess I never actually would have classified this as sci-fi. That's why I say it's sci-fi for non-sci-fi fans, because a lot of people are like, oh, that's not science fiction. And they say, what about the time travel? Well, just because it has a concept that is often in science fiction doesn't make this science fiction. That's like saying, oh, those two kiss. This must be a, a romantic movie. I might be drama. going a little bit too far, but I understand your point. I mean, the reason why the first movie works is that unlike other 
hardcore science fiction, they mm. don't dwell on it. They just use it as a plot device. Yeah. Like, how, time travel is possible? How? The flux capacitor. How does it work? It just does. <laughs> Again, and then drop it. So that's why a lot of people don't think of it as sci-fi because it's not. Yeah, Doc Brown's a scientist. He invented yeah. a time machine. But we won't talk about it. It just works. <laughs> yeah, I've always thought of it as more like a suspenseful comedy. Yeah. But, that, but again, I think that's part of the why it works so well is because people yeah. can can come to it and appreciate it. Because one of the reasons why science fiction, why time travel is a subcategory of science fiction that is gone to so many times and why it appeals to people who are not science fiction fans is because its underlying principles are understandable. The idea that of, oh, I, I fucked up a few things in my past. I made some mistakes. If I could just go back in time and fix a couple of those things, I can imagine how much better my life would have been. And that's one of the concepts of time travel. Mm -hmm. So people can relate to that, as well as people can relate to one of the things that Doc Brown says before he gets gunned down by the Libyans. I want to visit the future because I want to see what I will die before I get there. I want to see the future that I will not live long enough to see. Yeah. So those are two concepts that everyone can relate to that you can think of, oh, well, that's kind of science fiction. No, it's just like people just relate to that as their experience with time. So that's why I think the movie works. I also think that the movie works well, and especially the first one, is because of the benevolent use of time travel. Like you said earlier, Marty time travels to the 50s by accident because he's running away from the Libyans. Right. And then all he's trying to do is get back to 1985. Back to the future! Back to the future! He's not trying, hey, while I'm here, let's improve my life. No. He's just trying to get back. And, and also... And then, oh shit, let me not screw up my life. Well, exactly. It's like, I just want to go back home. And then, oh fuck, I accidentally erased... I'm practically erasing my family from history. Let's stop that from happening. So he's not trying to use time travel to improve his life. And even though Doc Brown in the first movie jokes about, hey, you know, I can find out who wins the next 25 World Series, which becomes a, a plot in the second movie, his idea is still benevolent. I want to see the future that I'm, right. I will not live to see. And I think that... And, and he creates rules of, you know, don't see yourself, don't do this, don't do that, because we can't change history. Right. We just need to view it from afar. Which is also why another reason why I think the second movie ended up being bad in my eye because I think some people also criticize the movie for for sugarcoating the come on if you had a time machine wouldn't you want to do some some gnarly stuff and make yourself like rich and fuck over people and stuff that's what Biff does in the second movie yeah. so I think in part they were pushed to you got to do something like that because this is too benevolent to I use. think that's what makes it real though it does but that's why I think the first movie is just so solid because, yeah, it's time travel, but you don't have to think about it as science fiction. And it's a family-friendly, warm story. Right. Leaving aside the incest. <laughs> <laughs> it's accidental. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and she does say, like, kissing you is like kissing my brother. Right. So, yeah. So it doesn't go too far. Not, not only the mat, but also the point of, like, yeah, I got to basically try to 
have sex with my mom so that my dad can stop me. He's like, yeah, there are some disturbing things about the story you shouldn't think about. <laughs> but there were, but he wasn't into it. Yes. Yeah. It's, it was. It wasn't a thing he wanted to do. It was a thing yes. he had to do. <laughs> yeah. It's. You you know we're already down the rabbit hole. We might as well just keep talking about the time travel issue okay. there. So I I guess one of the things for me um, that I found very interesting is. Throughout all the movies, Doc Brown is very consistently, we cannot do anything to change history. But then when he goes back to the 1800s, he he makes equipment and he makes machinery that won't be seen for many, 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 many years that other people are going to see. How is he affecting history by accident just by being and living back then? Well, not only the fact that he changes his mind pretty quickly, because at first, when we first see him, when he's first talking about the time machine, he's talking about its benevolent uses, and he wants to only mm-hmm. go to the future. He didn't ever express an interest of, hey, I can go to the past, and maybe... Yeah, he, did. he said something about going going to the past and seeing Christ being born. Okay. I, oh, I think maybe he did run down a list of some of yeah. the things you could do with a time machine. Right. But his initial trip that he was going to take before he got right. killed, yeah, he was originally trip, yeah. going to the future. But then, like, and then the 1950s Doc Brown is angry that Marty tries to give him a letter. I was like, there's something bad's going to happen. I need- No, 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 no. You can't tell me about my future. Right. But then we learn later that he broke his own rule, read the letter, find out, found out that he was right. going to get shot. So he wears a bulletproof vest so he doesn't die. And then after that... He kind of gets willy-nilly with the rules. He kind of does. <laughs> I mean, he still has them there, and he's still... He, yeah, he's very kind of hit and miss with the rules after yeah, that. Yeah, because even like when he comes back at the end of the first movie, and we learn more about the thing in the second movie, he come, after telling Marty, he's like, we can't mess with the timelines. Like, I came back to get you because something goes wrong with your kids in the future. We have to change time to stop that from happening. It's like, uh? yeah. So it's like, you were like, we got to preserve the timeline to, we got to change the timeline. Well, and then he was like, so, basically he said he went way really far in the future, found out that everything was all screwed up in his family and kind of traced it back to this one event. So he's like, if we stop this one event from happening, then all of that won't happen. Oh man. But yeah, like you said, that's, that kind of goes against everything that he had said. It does. Plus, you would think that based on some of the things we saw in the second movie, it's like, wouldn't he have wanted to even go further back and stop Marty from getting into the car crash? That Which he refuses to say anything about or even tell him about. Exactly. So it's like his rules are very inconsistently applied. Right. So that's and like you said, even though he admonishes Marty for buying the sports almanac in the second movie, when he gets back to the Old West, like you said, he invents technology that is a century ahead of its time and does things that that has to have some effects on the timeline so yeah the 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 ethical time traveler gets thrown out the window almost immediately right and then i guess another part in the third too that really drove me nuts is like oh we can't you know why don't we just bring clara with us oh we can't because we can't change histories like you already changed history by saving her from falling Really, actually, you'd be almost fixing what you already screwed up by bringing her with because she's not even supposed to exist now anyway. Right. Plus the fact that, and again, not to get all headachey, but Doc Brown would have already known that he was going to get shot by Mad Dog Tannen and he would already know who Clara is. The fact that he doesn't doesn't make sense. 
Wait, how? Because the 1950s Doc Brown, who helped send Marty back to 1885, is the Doc Brown in the future who goes back to 1885. So once he sends Marty back to 1885, they see the picture, they find his grave. That guy, 30 years ago, 30 years from them, invites the time machine and goes through all of the adventures of the first two movies. He would then have instantaneously remembered when he got to 1885, I better pay Mad Dog at 80 bucks or he's going to kill me. Hey, there's a woman named Clara who apparently is going to become my wife. Because they've shown throughout the other movies that... Uh, instantaneously things change and people know things. But change, things change forward in time, not backward in time. But the guy that went back in time came from the future. So he yeah. would have been the guy who but remembered he, it. But he went back in time before the timeline changed. But the timeline... That would have changed it. <laughs> but the timeline changed instantaneously. But again, it comes back to one of the other fundamental problems of time travel movies you need to let the movie tell its story. If you resolve all of the paradoxes, then there's nothing to tell. There's you no lose story. You lose the story. You lose yeah. the, drama the dramatic uh, conflict and stuff like that. So, but again, yeah, it, it then, but like you said, we're saying earlier, like then after saving her, he makes another time machine and travels up and down the timeline with her and their kids. All so right. he's already made a whole bunch of changes to the timeline. So yeah, preserving the timeline is just completely out the window. Another sci-fi <laughs> thing that I wondered when I'm watching this, when I was watching the train fly off and take off at the very end, <laughs> I wonder if all these UFO sightings that we have are actually time travelers. And when they take off really fast and disappear, they're just traveling through time again. Plus, you would think, what about the negative impact? That is a very good point. But what about the negative impact of letting everybody see that happen? Yeah. All, like the, even people, the, it, all the people in that area that just watched a train fly off in the air and, and then disappear in the middle of broad daylight right which again is like the other critical point of like end of the first movie if he didn't lift off and fly through the air and disappear in front of biff biff would have been like huh so biff because he sees them do go to the future in 1985 when we get to 2015 he has the memory of seeing a flying car with doc brown in it disappear and then when he's old in 2015, he's like, oh, my God, that's the car. This is where the, oh. So because he, again, time traveled in broad daylight in front of people. <laughs> Which is funny because actually in the second one, there's a time where it's like, Marty's like, hey, you need to come get me. He's like, I can't bring this out in broad daylight. Exactly. Even though I just did. <laughs> so, yes, the rules are not followed consistently. The second movie, though, creates, oh, so so many paradoxes. All right, Captain Sci-Fi, tell oh. us what they are. Okay. I'm just going to sit back and sip my tea. Okay, so first off, when Biff takes the time machine, leaving aside, let's let's forget about the storytelling cheat because they just needed the movie to proceed. Like, how would Biff know how to operate the time machine and use it? But let's just leave that out of the way because that's not a paradox. He travels in 1955 and gives himself the sports almanac. As soon as that happened, the entire timeline should have changed. And Doc, at the very least, Doc Brown and Marty should have been stranded in 2055. Biff bringing the time machine back to 2015 
doesn't make any sense other than from a storytelling perspective well we need marty and doc to have the time machine so that they can travel back to 1985 to figure out that the timeline has been changed but as soon as they as soon as biff went back in time and changed the timeline none of the delorean actually should have blinked out of existence because when they go back to 1985 they find out that what years before that Doc Brown had been institutionalized in an insane asylum, yep. which would mean he never invented the time machine, which also means Biff could never have gone back in time in the time machine. <laughs> okay. But the first one established that it's not instantaneous. You are extremely hung up on that instantaneous thing. But even in the second movie, when they leave jennifer on the porch and marty's like we can't just leave her here man doc's like oh it's okay once we change the timeline everything will just change around her he doesn't say instantaneously he says it will right we already established in the first one that it's a gradual change so if, if it if it took marty that long to start to disappear in the first one how long does it take for the timeline to gradually change down time it took him days we're talking a thing that was then, at that point, 55 years in the future. That's, <laughs> By but, then, the timeline would have snapped itself around. No, no, not if it's a gradual change through time. That's a pretty major change. I don't, that, it that's is, a, but it's not. But again, that's what I keep saying. You are way too hung up on the instantaneous change. If it's a gradual change through time, it takes time for the time to change. Then by the when Biff goes back to the future, they leave the future before that timeline completed this change. And they got back to 1985. And they got back to time. 1950. Yeah, it's <clears throat> before after that change had already happened. So while the change was taking place, they were traveling through time going back. So they kind of crisscrossed with the time change. Okay, because they were fast enough, they got there before the time yeah. changed. I'll buy that theory because there's actually a similar theory about that in Doctor Who, that when you change time after a certain point, once the timeline is coalesced, it can't be changed again without creating a universe-destroying paradox. So I'll buy that theory that they the paradoxes hadn't collapsed in on themselves yet by the time that they had um, done that travel back and forth. Again, but like I said also earlier, it's like they needed to allow them to have a reason. Like other people have posited the, well, even if the DeLorean blinked out of existence, Doc Brown could have still created another time machine, just like he did out of the yeah. train. So why waste like a third of the movie watching him build another time machine to travel back? But but then they also wouldn't have known, well, how did this happen? Like finding Biff's cane and the bag that the almanac was in. Oh, clues. Now we know what happened. And now let's go back and stop it from happening. So again, you need the story and the movie has to happen. Well, but they, they found that story. So in the second one, so, and again, I'm, I'm going to address that and then I'm going to jump back to another part. Okay. All right. So that I one, have more, they find those clues. And when they get to 1955 and realize everything had changed, they take these clues and they're like, okay, what happened? And then they look in the history books and find 1985 out exactly when. is when they figured out when things changed. Yeah. Isn't that what I said? Did I say you 55? said 1955. Sorry. 85. It's yeah. timey-wimey. It's yeah. confusing. <laughs> so, I mean, that all they made that make sense. But they also talk about multiple timelines in that. So the original one, and this is where you have had issues 
before we talked about this. <laughs> off mic. Yes. Yeah. So the 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 multiple timelines where it splits off and creates another timeline. So when Biff goes back to the future, it's still in the original timeline. They go back to the 1955. When they go back, they're, they go to the other timeline that had splintered off rather than their original timeline. You had issue with that because you, in your head, the, right when he hands him the almanac, it's going to change the timeline. It's going to splinter off, mm-hmm. right? Right. Whereas I would argue he had said, do not look at it or do not do anything with it until later. Yeah, so, so a couple of years. Nothing actually changes other than him having it. So as far as like the actual timeline goes, nothing splinters off until he actually starts using the almanac. Right. Yeah. He had told him to wait until like his 21st birthday before right. placing his first bet. <clears throat> Does everybody have a headache yet? Oh, you're going to have even more of a headache because oh, there's boy. more stuff coming. <laughs> so that was one of the things. But again, this is also where I said they also tried to do a little bit more of a complicated time travel story and more sci-fi stuff in the second movie. And that's, I think, why over time I've I've like the second movie less because it, it triggers all of my sci-fi brain of like eh, about multiple timelines and things being changed and stuff like that. Well, who's to say this movie's not right and all your other sci-fi movies are wrong? It could very well be. That's true. I mean, because again, it's fictional, so who knows? Yeah, and we and again, we don't actually know because time travel doesn't exist yet. The other thing I want to talk about uh, in relating to time travel and this whole alternate timeline thing is the... <laughs> the alternate versions of Marty that essentially get killed. So think about this for a second. The Marty from the first movie mm-hmm. has a, a mediocre life, not a crappy life, but he has a mediocre life. This is back when his dad and his mom are, mm-hmm. you know, his dad's not successful, so he has a crappy life. When he travels back to 1955 and does the thing we're talking, gets sent back to 1985, his life has not with his intention of doing this, his life has gotten better. Mm-hmm. He has the fancy truck. His family is much more successful, both his dad and his mother and his sister. When he gets back, he's confused. The Marty who lived the great life in that family that was much more successful and much happier, he didn't have any of those experiences. He doesn't remember them because he didn't live them. So the Marty who was actually born in that altered timeline and had a much happier and more successful childhood is not the Marty who returns to the timeline in 1985. I've thought about that too. So realistically, the Marty that did do the time traveling still should have disappeared because that Marty didn't really exist. Well, there's a dark theory on the internet, which I kind of find funny, that Doc Brown would have seen this coming. Like in 1955, when he sends Marty back to the future, he would have seen how much, not that he knew George McFly well before, he would have seen how much more successful the McFly's became. And then he might have, as, and this is not my theory, I read this on the internet. He murdered that Marty. He does. He's like, he, there's going to be a problem when Marty returns, air quotes, in 1985, there's going to be another Marty in the timeline because it's been established that multiple Martys and multiple Docs can exist at the same point in time because they were there back when they had to redo 1955. So Doc, knowing he's not going to see, quote unquote, his Marty again until 1985, 
befriends the happy, successful Marty and murders him before October of 1985 so that when his Marty returns, he can take over his life. Welcome to this episode of Nerd Talk. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, I see that, but when there's multiple Martys in the, at the same point in time, it's still the same Marty from different ages. So, like, the back in 1955, you've got the, I don't know, what is he, 17 years old? Mm-hmm. And then the second Marty, the 17 and a half years old. Okay. So it's still the same Marty. But then when he goes back and when he goes from 1955 back to 1985 in the first movie mm-hmm. and his life is better, that's still supposed to be the same Marty, that same age. He's just going back to exactly when he disappeared. Right. But now he has none of the memories. So maybe he is, but now he has none of the memories and he didn't live the life. Right. Which also means he would But if he a- still befriended Doc Brown and everything else happened there, he still went off in the past at the same point. Because well, remember, he watched himself take off. He did, but that's also where Doc Brown probably would have, had, in a more benevolent way, you can think, Doc Brown would have had to make sure that he befriended Marty yeah. because he needs Marty to basically not create a paradox by not going back in time right. for all of that stuff to happen. Well, that that one, the, the befriending him, and then making sure that he takes off, mm-hmm. that I that one I would agree with. Mm-hmm. But the killing him thing, no. <laughs> like because I said, you watch him take off. Like I said, that's a, that's a dark spin. So yeah, you could say he befriended the happy Marty, and but then you would, but then you would again. Time travel conversations break your your brain. That Marty, the new happier Marty, being sent back in time would be confused because it's like, my parents are super duper happy and awesome people. And it's like, he's not going back. So that Marty is no longer going back saying, well, what, what, what's going on? So he's not the same person who led the same life. So that's why I'm thinking, <laughs> again, time travel is brain hurting when you think too much about it. Yeah. That doesn't mean the same type of thing couldn't have happened, though. It just might not have happened exactly that way. True. Which then just kind of creates a weird loop. Yes. Jeremy Baramy. Yeah, there's a, there is a thing in time travel where, like, there, there are, like, sometimes infinite loops get created. Like, one of the examples is that if your grandfather gave you a watch when you were a kid and later in your future life you invent time travel and you travel back in time to meet your grandfather, and you give him a watch as a gift. And then later, he gives you the watch. You basically have created an infinite loop that if you don't time travel back to give your grandfather the watch, your grandfather can't give you the watch, but then you have to keep time traveling back to give your grandfather the watch so he can keep giving you the watch. So it just keeps looping and looping. Again, time travel hurts the brain when you think about it too much. The other Marty that kind of also gets killed, but we probably don't care, is the 2015 Marty when they jump to the, when they, what, I'm sorry, the 1985, what I call the Biffed 1985, mm-hmm. when Rich Biff have ta- has taken over the world. The one that's world. in Switzerland? Yes. The one he's like, why are you, why are you not in Switzerland in like your like eighth boarding school or whatever? Right. That Marty is presumably a dick. Anyway, so we don't care, but so he's but we never meet him. We so never it's meet fine. him, so we don't care. <laughs> but also that Lorraine's dead, that Biff's well, that's, dead. Yeah, like, that's like, yeah, that, that entire l- timeline is just erased. 
when they go back and fix right get, getting the almanac away so it's from not, it. they're not really killed they're erased they're erased but the first marty though is more questionable nope but because you watch him go back it's still not the same Marty, but that's okay. You're right. Okay, I because I, I I I can buy that. Like I said, it's a dark theory that, yeah. that the doc would have had to do something to because if that alternate Marty doesn't go back and still do the things that happened, then that timeline gets changed again, and they're right back to having the shitty life. Not to mention the fact that <laughs> in order to have the Marty, the second Marty that goes back to stop Biff from getting the sports almanac. That Marty only exists if Biff originally goes to the future, gets the almanac, and goes to the past to give himself the almanac. Right. So that Marty can't exist unless Biff changed the timeline, but then they have to change how Biff changed the timeline. And so it's an infinite loop of timeline changes. It's an infinite loop of timeline changes of things that have to continue to happen. So the universe is going to explode. <laughs> Which also then begs the question of, well, then now that that um, 2015 also, that was the other thing that was as part of that 2015 thing too, is that once Biff gave, some people have pointed this out, although it's it's a, a, a softer argument, that when Marty and Jennifer go with Doc Brown at the end of the first movie to travel to 2015, mm-hmm. they've removed themselves from the timeline. So how could they be old and have kids 30 years later? Because at the end of the third one, they go back. They're back together again. But the people we meet in 2015, the future failure Marty who got in the car accident and couldn't play music and gets fired. That, that timeline got erased. That timeline got erased. But how are, that, how are those future versions even available when they basically blinked out of existence when they time traveled from 1985 to 2015, there is no Marty and Jennifer in 1985 to grow old to the people well, in 2015. Yeah, those two Marty. There once, is no once Marty he and decide, Jennifer. Yeah, once he just <laughs> no, they're there. No, they're not. They, they went in the DeLorean and they flew to 2015 with Doc. No, but at the end of the third one, they came back. Yeah, but there isn't anyone there for them to. Again, it's a softer argument. People are like. Shouldn't they not have existed? But then you could also further go back to my other thing is that once Biff gave the sports almanac to himself, we also find out in 1985, George McFly is dead. So we couldn't have seen George McFly in the 2015 future. Lorraine wouldn't have been married to him. So the But that timeline hadn't changed yet. At that that point. goes back to your the, coale- <laughs> the timelines hadn't coalesced enough yet. Yeah. Which is, I guess, what... I, but, I, but again, I'm going to go back to that. The whole, that Marty and Lorraine not existing in the future, mm-hmm. yeah, they would, because they still ended up together in the past. Marty and Jennifer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that that, that doesn't make sense. That, that <laughs> argument doesn't make sense to me at all, because they're there. They're together. The only thing that changes is at the end of the third one when he decides not to race the other truck. Right, which So means... he doesn't get into that accident, which just means that change... It doesn't change that they're together. It changes that future. Right. That future never happens. But that doesn't change until after he decides not to get into that accident. So the future hadn't been changed yet when they were there because they visited that future before he had changed the future. And that version of Marty hadn't done that yet. Right. That well, that version of Marty was a version of Marty that was uninterrupted by Biff. That was a version of Marty that before Doc Brown went back to 1985 to grab Marty and Jennifer to take them to 2015, that's what was going to happen to Marty right. without Biff in the whole sports almanac thing. 
But that whole thing also goes poof anyway, but for multiple reasons. You know, it makes sense in my head, and you don't. <laughs> <laughs> but this is also my point is like all of these arguments, though, originate in the second movie. It's yeah. the only one that really has any real complications because they're jumping to the future, back to the present, right. which has been changed because of what happened in the past, because of what happened in the future. Then they have to go back to the past to prevent the present and the future from being messed with. And then in the middle of that, Doc Brown gets thrown into the further past. So a whole bunch of timey-wimeyness happens in the second movie, way over the, as composed to the, compared to the first and the third movies, which are relatively straightforward stories in, in terms of their use of time travel. So that's why the second one is so hard for you to watch and to enjoy. But at the same time, that for me, that's what makes the second one so much more interesting. Okay. Because it creates a much more complicated storyline to follow. Okay. So that that's why at the beginning when I said, I think the storytelling in that one is better, not the science fiction part, the storytelling. Because I don't really care how time travel works. I'm just there for the story. You're just not thinking fourth dimensionally. <laughs> because honestly, nobody <laughs> understands the way tri time travel actually works because it doesn't exist yet. Right. So we don't really know. And again, I, I briefly alluded to it before too, is that Doc Brown should have known a lot more about everything that was happening. Like Doc Brown ends up getting trapped in 1885, would have already known that he was going to get trapped in 1885. He would also know he didn't get shot by Mad Doc Tanner. He would know who Clara is. He would know that Marty comes back for him. Depends on how much he had actually moved around, but yeah. Plus also the other thing that people have pointed out, I'll go filed again under the, well, then there wouldn't be a movie because there wouldn't be a story. But if once Marty travels back to 1885 to meet Doc and finds out, hey, I came back here to save you because blah, blah, blah. Why wouldn't Doc to say, oh, okay, then I should just change the letter that I left for you <laughs> so or, that you don't have to come back here. Or why not just pay off Tannen and not pay, get shot? Yeah, pay off Tannen and not get shot. I'll change that letter and then you'll just like blink away because you wouldn't have had to come back here. So that. Or when the DeLorean that yeah, Marty travels maybe. back to 1885 is broken, why not use the other DeLorean that's also in 1885? The one that Doc Brown hid in the mine shaft that Marty finds in 1955 to travel back to 1885. Because he hadn't done that yet. No, he had. He hid the DeLorean in the mine shaft. Yeah. And then Marty, from 1955, comes back to 1885 and right. breaks the gas line. It's like, oh, well, why don't we just go get the parts we need from the other one? But then he was like, oh, well, then that car would be broken. Well, then change the letter <laughs> to tell them... Uh, fix this because I, oh, yeah. I had a fix. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't they just get the gas out of the tank of the one that was there? Right. Because well, the that gas wouldn't <laughs> have been good in 1955 anyway. Right. Huh. Stupid movies. <laughs> but then again, this comes back to don't think about it too much. Right. And again, it's not just these movies. Time travel in general, in anything that it's in, if you look at it too closely, it starts to fall apart. Like, as people have talked about, like, Avengers Endgame broke some of its own time travel rules because mm -hmm. you can't not and still tell a story. And it just, it just starts to fall apart when you right. think about it too much. But again, I would argue the second movie is really the only one that kind of forces you to think about time travel more. Uh, it really doesn't. 
Because it has more time travel stuff happening. Forces you to think about well, it. there's more time travel stuff happening right. in the first two Hey, movies. man, just and, go and along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Just go along for the ride, man. Mm-hmm. So jokes are funny. <laughs> <laughs> Mike would like to talk about the jokes. <laughs> Do you have anything else you want to say about the time travel storytelling, anything? No, I think I've, I think I've beaten that horse to death all right <laughs> so going back to the positive side of these movies we mentioned at the beginning i, I just want to say off the top again i love these movies <laughs> i know it just seemed like we went on like a half hour rant of all of the science fictiony things i i have problems with i still love these movies i this is just that my science fiction nerd brain needed to vent sorry and this is like the third time i've heard you vent about it um <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess for me, the the time travel never bothered me because the movies are so entertaining. Exactly. And and I never really even thought about the time travel that much unless other people bring it up. And I'm like, it, really, the way that they make the movies makes the time travel make sense to me because I don't think that in depth. Though. It's like, okay, so this happened, that happened. Time changes happen forward, not backward. So okay, I'll just I'll just ride with that. Sure. Well, like you said, it doesn't really force because the rest of the movie is so well written, well right. acted, well directed, and everything. It doesn't pull you in. Some other science fiction gets goes down the rabbit hole of making you think about it and and revolving the entire story around time travel. These movies, it's just a plot device. Yeah. It's not the story. Right. And like you said, if they if they had spent <laughs> all that time trying to fix the paradoxes there wouldn't be a movie right so what to me what makes this movie what makes the movie stand through time why it's one of the best movie series ever for me is just how funny it is and the jokes are so brilliant i'm a big stand-up comedy guy and to me the best stand-up comedy routines they almost always end with a callback joke to the beginning of the the stand routine Mm -hmm. and this movie or this series is just genius in the way they set up and repeat jokes throughout all three of the movies there's movie there are jokes that don't pay off until the second and third movies that are set up at the beginning of the first movie and it's just absolutely fantastic And, and there's a little so many again i like details and I like background details. And there's so many background jokes, little things like when they go into the future, Goldie Wilson Jr. for mayor and, and stuff like that. And, and, you know, Jaws, you know, the, the final, final chapter or whatever it is that's, that's in there. Like there's so many of those types of jokes that are in it that they don't even talk about. They don't even really bring up, but it keeps happening over and over and over again. It's fantastic. And I think it's just absolute genius. And that, to me, is what makes this movie genius. These movies, genius. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I mean, it, you, you would think, too, in, in other movies or shows and stuff, sometimes you, you start to get tired of the fact that they seem to be playing the same beats. Like the, um, the manure joke that is in uh, all three of the movies. It's still funny. Yeah. It's like they're playing the same beats, 
but it's still funny. Even like in like even in the second movie, which I don't like very much, like when they're having the hoverboard chase, mm-hmm. and like old Biff comes out. It's like why is this so familiar? Why is this so familiar. So it's like you know what they're doing, and even like that whole thing. It's just like a, it's just a recreation of what happened in the 1950s chase. So he's like, it's like, oh, come up with a, a more original idea. No, it actually works. It's still funny. But part of the reason it works is it's a callback and it's revisited, but then they change it. Yes. They it add doesn't a little wrinkle. The, it doesn't yes. end the same way. So it's right. like, oh, crap, that didn't work out this mm-hmm. time. You know, so that's the kind of stuff that they do over and over again. Like every time he gets knocked out, every movie he gets knocked out, he wakes up in the room and he's like, mom. And she tells him how long he's been knocked out. And then he's safely back in the year. Right. Well, <laughs> in the third one, she doesn't say that. Okay, that, that's, yeah, that's true. Yeah, in the third one, she says you're, you're safe here at the McFly farm. She right. doesn't say what year. Right. But, yeah, you're safely <coughs> X. Right. So, yeah, there's a lot of recurring themes. And, you know, every version of Biff says sayings wrong. So why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? <laughs> you're as useful as a screen door on a battleship. <laughs> Yeah. So, or um, even when like old Biff in the second movie. Again, I don't. I like. You I sound said, like an idiot when you say it wrong. <laughs> so yeah, again, it, it's it's self aware and well well constructed jokes and, and and callbacks and stuff like that, and even like the the way that the clock tower is used mm-hmm. uh, all throughout the, the movies and that stuff, and and the way that things that you th- would think are are, are silly, like what. <laughs> One of the other like weird time travel things that sorry I didn't mean to backtrack on you on people someone else online had, had criticized that um, the clock tower is no longer broken mm-hmm. or shouldn't be any broke because the clock tower was broken because it got struck by lightning but when they used the lightning redirected the power of the lightning for one point twenty one gigawatts one point two one gigawatts one point twenty one gigawatts <laughs> it prevented the lightning from striking the clock tower because it got channeled into the DeLorean. So that means that the clock tower wasn't broken, which means Marty wouldn't have known where the lightning strike was going to happen. So they couldn't have used the lightning strike to power the DeLorean. But that's okay. The fact that they, you know, used the clock tower that way and the fact that Doc Brown is hanging off of the clock tower and one of the clocks in the very beginning of the first movie is hilarious because yeah. it has that where it has all of those synchronized clocks that go off at the same time. One of the clocks actually is Doc Brown hanging off of the clock on the watchtower. And then in the third movie, we see the, the creation of the watchtower. Yeah. So. Sorry, I'm stuck on the, uh, the clock tower being broke. But then that Doc Brown that sends the Marty back that experienced it does know when it hits. So maybe he just found a way to make sure Marty knows when that was. Or maybe he didn't then need to know, and then in the altered timeline that we didn't need to... They rehashed a lot of the first movie, but maybe that changed some of the elements of the first movie. And now maybe Marty was like, well, how are we going to do it? Dr. Brown, I know when lightning's going to strike. How? Don't ask. But I know when lightning's going to strike and where. That could be. Because then he would know and maybe... So again... Again, that's again goes back into the timey stuff. It's just like leave it alone. You'll hurt your brain thinking about it too much. Yeah, let's leave that alone. Yeah. 
<laughs> but even like one of one of like I didn't notice this at first, but one of the other people that I pointed out, I, I read an article about like things to to watch the next time you watch Back to the Future. In the very first movie, mm-hmm. someone rides by Doc Brown on a bicycle. In the very first movie, it's Christopher Lloyd foreshadowing the second movie where he hit does ride up on a bicycle and talk to himself. Huh. They had the wherewithal, because again, they planned this out. They had Christopher Lloyd ride a bicycle in the background so that they could film it because they knew they were going to use that in the second movie. Huh. So it's like, that's those are those background yeah. details you were talking about. It's like, that's the stuff that they made sure was there. That's one I never caught. Yeah, I mean, it was like one of those listicles of like 30 thing, 37 things to look for the next time you watch Back to the yeah, Future. Yeah, see, I've seen a bunch of those, and I'm always like, yep, got it, got it, got it, got yep. it, got it. But that's that's a new one to me. Mm-hmm. Huh. Now I want to watch it again <laughs> so I can see that. <laughs> so, yeah, there's just so much incredible attention to detail and, and background stuff. And like you said, the, the callback jokes and stuff like that. Even the, even the stuff that is not like the, the Marty Chicken thing. Yeah. It's it's not great, but at least it's consistently applied right throughout the movies. And honestly, that's actually you know going back to characters. Mm-hmm. The entire movie series is all just a human growth thing of Marty learning how to accept and not be being called chicken and just getting past it. Mm-hmm. All of the movies hinge on that. Yes. And it took three movies and multiple near-death experiences for him to learn that one one life lesson. Mm-hmm. You know what else happens in the background that's fantastic? The soundtrack. Yes, the soundtrack is fantastic. It's iconic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much. Uh, Huey Lewis did a lot of it there. Mm-hmm. Um, you got, uh, what was it? I got it. Alan Silvestri. Silvestri? I think that's how you pronounce it. Something like that. Who actually ended up doing Avengers? Uh, if any, I think you mentioned that earlier. Forrest Gump, Predator. He's no, I think that was during the mic check. Yes. Oh, was it during the mic check? <laughs> oh, that's right. It was. So, yeah, he, like, he did uh, the first Avengers movie. He did Infinity War and Endgame as well. He also did Captain America, um, one of them anyways. I don't remember which one. The sound, You're talking about the soundtracks. For those yeah, movies. the soundtracks for those. Yep. yep. He did all, all the music, background music, stuff like that. So... I mean, really, it's iconic. It's one of those, you know, there's a handful of movie scores that even the layman, when they hear it, they know exactly what it's from. And this is one of them. And it's, it's absolutely fantastic. And the fact that Huey Lewis has a cameo in the first movie is funny. Does he? Yeah, he's actually the when they when Marty is uh, in his band, the Pinheads are auditioning to play at the high school musical. Mm-hmm. They actually start playing uh, "Power of Love," mm-hmm. the Huey Lewis song. Right, and then the guidance counselor stands up and he, "I'm sorry, you're just too dang loud." That's Huey Lewis. Oh, <laughs> cool. so he stops them. From singing his song. That's the power of love. That's the power of love. Auditioning to play for the high school. Well, that makes more sense then. (laughs) 
huh. which is actually funny because what a lot of people think of songs for the music from the movie by Huey Lewis, a lot of people think of Back in Time. Mm-hmm. But actually, when he was first asked to do music for the movie, Huey Lewis was actually not very interested in it. And Robin Zemeckis is like, no, 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 you don't have to make like a song about the just make make a song that you think is cool. We'll put it in the movie. And he made he wrote Power of Love, mm-hmm. which is used in the movie a lot. He later then wrote Back in Time, but that wasn't the primary thing. Was that even in the first one? I don't think it was in the first one. It was actually, I think, was in the second one because okay. I, I think it was after that. So for the, the song he wrote for the very first movie was A Power of Love. Yeah. And again, it's, it's funny. It's like that's literally he doesn't get to sing much of it, but that's literally what Michael J. Fox's band yeah. starts to play. Yeah, I caught that. And then Huey but, Lewis is like, no, that's too dang loud. That's funny. <laughs> See, and I think, again, this goes into my musical taste and stuff. Mm hmm. I think uh, the only reason I even know the name Huey Lewis is from these movies. <laughs> so, I mean, that's because I don't listen to that kind of music. Right. But I enjoy the hell out of it because of the association with these movies. Right. So. Yeah, and then you have like, then you have the Chuck Berry, Johnny B. Good song. Yep. Even also a little bit of, um, not musical, but a little bit of a, ACDC reference when he's on his back playing and wriggling across the stage on his back playing the guitar. That's an ACDC. Not not the music he was playing, but the performance style. Uh, is it ACDC? I think it's ACDC. I always thought it was more Jimi Hendrix. Um, it could be. Could I mean, a, a lot of people have done I'm that. I'm about to say, yeah. Like I mean, that. it's going back to like the birth of rock and roll and a lot of that yeah. stuff ended up becoming. But I mean, it was also nice that, I mean, check. Chuck Berry is often right. credited for being the person who actually started "quote unquote" rock and roll. So right. it was funny that they found a way to to, to work, work that better. in there. Yeah. yeah. Although I think you had pointed out when we were watching the movie once, it's like that Michael J. Fox is not really playing the guitar. Right. He did actually learn how to play guitar for it for okay. some of the scenes, but yeah, like the complicated stuff that's happened there. There's no way he's playing that. He's <laughs> definitely not in the right spots for that. But. Mm-hmm. And they did a pretty good uh, rendition of Earth Angel, Earth Angel. That was pretty good, too. I liked that. Yeah, so they did, you know, multiple uh, decades and, and yeah. genres of music. It's also one of the thing, reasons I think that it holds up so well is that it it's nostalgic on multiple levels. Like, again, when the movie first came out in 1985, the movie is set contemporaneously. It's set in 1985. That's when the right. movie actually came out. People who watch it now, it's like, oh, it's great double dose of nostalgia we get to see the 80s and we get to see the 50s it's like well the movie actually came out in the 80s so it wasn't nostalgic the 80s portion of it was not nostalgic (laughs) but then they also play off of that when they go in the future because there's the cafe 80s exactly yes which is the one thing about 2015 that actually got accurate is the nostalgia (laughs) for the 80s um but then then they had they did have Somewhat accurate nostalgia for the 50s. And they also played up on those jokes, too. It's like, I want a Pepsi free. If you want a Pepsi, buddy, you're going to pay for it. Right. Or the fact, it's like, did you just jump off of a, a ship while you were in a life jacket? Right. My name is Darth Vader. I am an extraterrestrial from the planet Vulcan. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff about and that. And the funny thing, for comic book fans, the comic book that George McFly is reading in that mm-hmm. scene is a real comic book. Yeah. So that is like not something that they made up for. I mean, the, the the jacket cover that they made for the book that you know um, 
that George McFly would later make was based on Marty McFly's outfit. Mm-hmm. But the the comic book that he that George McFly was actually reading was, is actually a real comic book, like Tales from Outer Space or something like that. Yeah, was a re- like real a uh, real comic book. Good fact. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then they also had the um, the television, the reruns and the television show. Right. It's like, right. hey, I've seen this one before. It's like, how can you have seen this before? Right. Uh, <laughs> I think just the way that they address time, eras, everything is why is kind of key and why it holds up combined with the jokes and the consistency. Right. And then the other layer of not so much nostalgia, but everyone loves the Old West. So right. the third movie, we go back to the Old West. So it's another sort of time period I just read something that part of the thing. reason they went there is because Mark, Michael J. Fox actually said he always wanted to do a Western. He said that to the director. Oh, okay. And so they kind of worked that in, and that's what they based that third movie off of. I, I, they probably had a general idea that he was going to go back in the past, but they probably didn't know when or why. Well, it's also... At the some very of, beginning. It was also interesting, some of the, the funny jokes that sometimes people also make about time travel, how we get, like, time periods wrong or understanding, like, what mm-hmm. was popular in a certain period. At one point, you see, like, Doc Brown was very meticulous to make sure that he brought a briefcase of money that mm-hmm. had money in the uh, that were would have been proper from the different right. time periods. So don't, you don't show up in the 1950s with a $20 bill from the future. Right. People are like, this is counterfeit. What are you trying to do? So he was had that attention to detail but he was convinced that the way he dressed marty (laughs) (laughs) to go into the past to the past as a cowboy (laughs) but the doc brown that sent him to the past as a cowboy hadn't invented the time machine yet so that part wasn't in his head and that's at that time period that's what they thought cowboys cowboys would have looked like Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's so they were able to play off of that joke there that yeah. like that, that he looked like an idiot. And in fact, obviously, the joke that he was Clint Eastwood right. was was funny. Plus, the fact even in the second movie, the Clint Eastwood movie where he uses yeah. the metal um, thing underneath his uh, poncho to protect himself from getting shot. Right. You know, rich uh, dickhead Biff from the future is watching that movie when Marty storms in on him in the second movie. Right. And then that scene gets reenacted when he has to shoot down with Biff. So it's like, that was great resonance too of, of foreshadowing what was going to happen in the next movie. So really all that, just kind of the joke consistency and why it holds up kind of really fold together. I mean, right. it's almost kind of the same, at least for me, that really, that's, that's the key. Like mm-hmm. if it wasn't, if it was just the sci-fi part, Mm-hmm. I don't think I would be nearly. You might be interested in it, but I wouldn't be. And I think I think a good, probably a good fifty percent of the fan base of these movies would probably drop off if it was less funny. Oh yeah, that's why I said off the top. It's like it's sci-fi for non-sci-fi fans. It's not right. hardcore science fiction. It's it, not the first thing that pops into your head when you think of this movie. Right, and if they—that's what I'm saying—is if they'd have gotten away from the jokes and leaned more into the sci-fi. Mm-hmm. That nobody would have, they probably wouldn't have even been able to make the second and third movies. Right, yeah, it, it definitely would not have been as popular. Because again, the first movie's success comes back to it was a simple story. Mm-hmm. Time travel was just used as a plot device, but it was still character driven. You know, the relationship between Marty and Doc and the stuff that was happening around right. them and the jokes and the callbacks and just how tight and well written, well directed, and well acted that movie is. And again, like you said, how funny it is. That's what makes people keep coming back. The time travel thing was just sort of a, a funny, 
uh, way of, of having that. Plus the whole idea of how are you going to travel through time in a car? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> travel. So, I mean, but again, that's why it was accessible sci-fi that people wouldn't consider sci-fi. But again, back to what I had said earlier, it goes down to probably why, again, time travel is, is always something that interests people who aren't into science fiction. We can all relate to the idea of my life could have turned out differently if a few things about my past played out differently, as well as, right. I really wish I knew tomorrow's lottery number. <laughs> if I yeah. could just time travel to tomorrow, get the lottery number and come back. So again, if only I knew that the Cubs were going to win the World Series in 2015. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so that's so, so that's why I mean those are things that are universally um, understandable by people. Right. Plus, like you said, a little bit like sort of a coming of age story of how Marty sort of becomes a better person and overcomes the the chicken thing and and makes a better thing. And then I think as we both mildly criticized the kind of cheesy ending to the third movie of you know the future's not cast in stone you can yeah. make it whatever you want as doc flies off in a time machine and can manipulate the timeline in case something goes wrong but marty <laughs> you don't have time travel anymore but you know you can make the future be whatever you want it to be right although if you're marty and something crappy happens wouldn't you just expect Doc Brown to show up? <laughs> well, I think at that point he'd been through so much. If something bad happens, mm-hmm. he's just going to shrug it off. He's not going to let it affect him as much mm-hmm. because he's been through so much and he's seen so much. Because actually, other reason why, one of the other things I didn't like about the second movie, wouldn't like the Marty that we saw in the future have been very bitter that Doc Brown didn't help him? Because that car accident, yeah. that hurt his hand and he couldn't play music anymore because Doc Brown knew how much he loved music. And that happened, like, right after they came back from to 1985. So what he would have been like, why didn't that bastard come back? But we don't know. Maybe he did come back from time to time. And was saying, I couldn't tell you because I didn't want to disrupt the future, as he had been saying over and over and over again. So we don't, but like we we said, don't know. He also only occasionally follows those rules. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things that bothers me about this movie. So one thing that's awesome that I look forward to in the future is abolishing all lawyers. <laughs> that that part's nice. Um, when they just leave Jennifer in the alley mm-hmm. in the second one, that still bothers me. Like, I, even leaving her on the porch and being like, it'll be okay because time's going to change around her and we'll be back to mm-hmm. this time. Okay. That one I get. But when they're in the future and they just leave her in the alley, the unknown alley of, and they're leaving all day and just leaving her there. Mm-hmm. What the shit is that? Not to mention the fact that, I mean, obviously the timeline gets changed, but bad things could have happened to her in an alley. Bad things could have happened to her on that porch in 1985. Of course, the timeline changes, so all of that gets erased. But some pretty bad things could have happened to her. But they could come back to that time. Yes. So I, I can be more accepting of that because they could come back to that time. They don't really. They kind of come back hours later. What the shit, Marty, you're a terrible boyfriend. Why? But in the future, why not just leave her in the DeLorean and take her along for the ride? Or why bring her at all? Because she saw the DeLorean. They do, they do talk oh, about that. She saw She'd them. seen the DeLorean and he didn't know how to handle it yet. Right. And so they're just trying to figure that out. 
But why take her out of the car and lay her in the out? Why not just leave her lying in the passenger seat? Well, yeah, why not, like, knock her unconscious as soon as she was in the DeLorean? <laughs> Basically. But, like, they, they, Marty's not there. Mm -hmm. Doc Brown's do, going around doing his own stuff with the DeLorean. Mm -hmm. Why not have her in the DeLorean with him? Yeah. Because then, but then there's no movie. Well, again, they were setting up the joke of young yeah. Jennifer meeting old Jennifer, which really wasn't much of a Either they'll joke. pass out or it'll create a paradox which implodes the entire, well, maybe the localized to the galaxy. We don't know. Right. Um, but they also, it was also a cheat. I don't know why they needed it, but so he, she could get the facts of him being fired yeah. and she sees the facts disappear. But even then, she's like, what does this even mean? Because when she when she get when she wakes up, she's like, "I had the weirdest dream." Right. And then the accident doesn't happen, and she's like, "Whoa, wait a minute!" And then she puts out the facts, and it's like, <gasps> "So it's just like right. a long way to go for what wasn't terribly important to the plot, but right." I but, mean, the, but it but it's important to the conclusion of time is not set. Right. Yeah. Things can change. Right. Correct. Yes. Huh. Do one other thing that drives me nuts. Okay. In the third one. Uh-huh. So the train pushes Murray. He goes flying off. Okay, I'm accepting of that. The train falls to its death. Spectacular explosion, but too bad nobody's around to see it. But we do see it. Mm -hmm. And why the fuck does it explode the way it does? Because <laughs> it's a Hollywood movie? <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, the boiler already basically exploded. And everything started on fire. Mm-hmm. And he said that the boiler exploding, you know, it exploded at 2000. It would be spectacular. It hits. It kind of blows up. And then all of a sudden there's a gigantic blow up with magnesium and stuff involved, which wouldn't have been on that train to begin with. What the shit, man? Mm -hmm. That doesn't make sense. That That's a Hollywood trope thing that really bothers me. Unnecessary explosions. Mm -hmm. If they, they would explain that somewhere in there, I'd be accepting of it. Mm -hmm. But they don't. And it pisses me off. The only, yeah, that is weird. But again, it's also another one of those callback jokes where it changed the name of the ravine to Eastwood Ravine. Yeah. Kind of a callback to Twin Pine Mall becoming Lone Same, Pine yeah, Mall. Yeah, yeah, So, so again, it, that, yeah, but yeah, that part was a little bit weird. The other thing that somebody else had pointed out, it's like, okay, so, and you kind of alluded to a part of this earlier. So, yeah, so it's really bad to take the sports almanac from the future back because then you would be able to get really rich, mm -hmm. right? But it's okay to take a hoverboard from 2015 back to 1885? Right? <laughs> it stays in the DeLorean, so it's fine. <laughs> Not to mention, like you said earlier, he invents a bunch of stuff in right. 1885 that would have been like mind-blowingly advanced technology. <laughs> another thing... That there's a lot in this movie where like Doc Brown's really smart but really stupid at the same time. Yes. So in the third movie, when Bit or when Buford, Mad Dog Tannen comes up behind him and has the gun on him and stuff, and they're about to fight, and then the lawman comes in and stops it. He says, "If there's any brawling, that's 15 days in in the county jail, or however he words it. It's 15 mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. They need three days. Why the fuck don't they set it up?" So that he gets in a fight with somebody and he goes to jail for 15 days. Then they don't have to worry about him. Then they have plenty of time. Exactly. Because they were in a rush to leave, leave before, before the three days. That gives them 15 <clears throat> days to figure out how to get back. 
It's actually one of the things, going back to Hollywood tropey things, one of the things I typically don't like in most movies is the clicking uh, clicking clock trope. And they have a time machine, so there is no... Exactly. Well, that's the thing that other people have pointed out is like this whole idea, oh, is this a race against time? They get this like, we have a time... Well, at least in the third one, the time machine is broken, right. but still... But like know. at the beginning of the second one, he's like in a frantic hurry. We got to get back to the future real quick and save this. Like, you got a time machine. Mm-hmm. You can get there whenever you want to get there. Right. You can go get breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> you can go like, yeah, go travel up and down the timeline a couple of different places. You got yeah. time. Show them what's going on and why you need to fix it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other than the fact that the movie would be too long, but yeah, that the fact that there's that. And artist. there wouldn't be the movie. Right. I don't know, man. They looked hungry. They really <laughs> needed breakfast. <laughs> I mean, Jennifer just slept for like 18 hours. <laughs> You think she's not going to be hungry when she wakes up? 18 hours and 35 years, kind yeah. of. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yeah, I guess, but I guess the, uh, dragging this towards conclusion, yeah, again, it, it it holds up really well. There's not a lot of movies that go back that far. Like we've talked before that if we ever went back and took a really close look at the original Star Wars trilogy, we would rip it apart. Yeah, yeah. But this trilogy, it holds up really, really well. Again, I've already vented about some of the things that make my sci-fi brain get triggered and, and not like everything that happens in the second movie. Plus, I kind of think it's... The fact that I can skip right from the first movie to the third movie and not be completely lost. And then, in fact, that someone who had never seen the trilogy could skip right from the first movie to the third movie and they really wouldn't be confused. It would just be a couple of things of, how do they know that? Yeah. But other than that, the story flows really well. So, but I still enjoy the second movie and watch all three. But if I'm pressed for time, I'll just watch the first and third. But still, overall, I right. can't really think of another franchise that now is over 35 years old that it, that holds up as well as this franchise holds up. That's fair. So normally we end these on a rating, and I think the rating's obvious. It's got to be 88. So let's go ahead and skip Whoa, ratings. 88, not 1.21? Oh. Because those Rob, are, yeah, those are the two obvious Robert ones. Robert Temexis really likes 121 because when um, Einstein sent back in time, when they're testing the time machine, what time does he get oh, sent back? Oh, that's true. It's 121 a.m. That's true. So Fair enough. So I don't know. Could so, be. I, I guess for me, here here's, I don't even know how to word this. What is your ch best favorite, whatever, the childhood memory that immediately comes to mind when you think of this series? Although it's going to be different for you because you were a little bit older. Yeah. Is there anything? When you think of the series, is there anything from your childhood that kind of jumps in that you think of fondly? I mean, I, I, mean, I saw all of these movies in the theaters. I was 14 when the first one came out, and I saw it multiple times in yeah the that's a little old to have a childhood memory yeah so i was a little bit yeah beyond childhood when i first saw the movies see i actually i think i got introduced to these movies around when the third one came out so okay. the third one came out in 90 i was eight when the third one came out right and well, I did you see the third one first i don't know oh, okay I, I there's no way i could possibly remember that but what i do remember and this is like my earliest memory about these movies isn't the movies themselves it's actually when the third movie came out, toys. I remember I went to, I got a Happy Meal from McDonald's. <laughs> and in the Happy Meal was a little like, I collected Matchbox cars. 
It was oh, a game. Okay. I had tons of them. Oh. And in it was a little train uh, of the train from the third movie. Mm-hmm. I've always loved the train more than the car. Always. Okay. I think that might be why. So whenever I think about these movies, I think about that toy train. Mm-hmm. I have no idea where it's at now. <laughs> it's probably smashed or given away or something somewhere along the line. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of like a ch- cherished thing in my head when I think about these movies is that toy train and playing with that and just thinking of that joy. So I think part of my joy from these movies, it kind of correlates to the joy with the toy and kind of comes together. So really it's just, I guess for me, it kind of goes back to the nostalgia of it reminds me of the joy that these movies brought me as a kid. Help me still enjoy them now. Yeah, they are very enjoyable movies. Yeah. Um, they're also very family friendly movies. Um, Agreed. they're very easy for anyone who has any interest in different genres to watch. I mean, it's not a lot of, I mean, there's a little bit of romance in there too. That's one of the other reasons why I actually like the third movie is only because the story was different, but we also got more character development for doc. Well, they had actually said the director had actually said, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. The director had actually said when they got to the third movie, they, they, they had decided that they'd already said all they could about Marty's family. Mm-hmm. They wanted to focus and develop on Doc Brown. Right. And they did a fantastic job of that. Right. I mean, cause, which is interesting because over the course of the three movies, we really only see a couple of days in the life of Marty McFly. <laughs> <laughs> true. We see a lot more of Doc Brown's life. I mean, jumping through time. Um, but that same Marty, by the end of the third movie, it's only been a couple of days. I mean, he spent a couple of weeks in the 1950s. Yeah, and so and they were also there for a few days too. So being maybe a month in the life, right. but it's still a, of that one age in that one time period. Doc has a, a lot more stuff going on. Back to the Future is a much better t- title than a month in the life of Marty McFly. That is very much true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I kind of wonder if if I my first viewing of these movies was now, mm-hmm. if I would enjoy them as much as I enjoy them now. Mm-hmm. I also wonder if i might enjoy them more again i think that the double dose of nostalgia would make them enjoyable now if i hadn't seen them at that time there's no question i'd still enjoy them right it's just a matter of how much yes it's hard yeah it's hard to say um but yeah it's definitely it it it's in rarefied air in terms of something that i don't think i would ever get tired of watching right Except for the, again, except for the second movie. And again, I'll watch the second movie. I mean, again, it's still enjoyable. It's still enjoyable. And I obviously know an awful lot about the second movie because I talk an awful lot about the second movie. <laughs> so it's not like it's a bad movie, but I, I definitely like the first and the third. But yeah, it's it's the second bad. one's more if you want something to hate watch a little bit. Well, actually, and I think this is another reason why it's an, such an enduring franchise. And I even made this joke in Avengers Endgame. Anytime anything time travel comes up. Oh, you mean like Back to the Future? Yeah. <laughs> Is everything you know about time travel from Back to the Future? Yes. <laughs> you mean that movie's bullshit? <laughs> Is there anything else you want to say about these movies? It's heavy, man. Is there something wrong with the gravitational field? <laughs> <laughs> That's my other, like, my favorite joke. Maybe my favorite joke from the entire three movies is in the third movie where they get the reverse their lines yep. where Marty's like, Great Scott. I know this is heavy. <laughs> so now 
It's time to get back to our own time. I don't want to. Me neither. But we have to. Ah, fuck. Thank you for listening to Fanboy and the Hater. We really appreciate it and would love to hear your feedback. Give us a rating. Write a review. Reach out to us on Twitter at Fanboy and Hater. Email us at thefanboyandthehater at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on our website, fanboyandhater.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Where you can download the free Podbean mobile app for Android and iOS. You can also find us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. Once again, thanks for listening to The Fanboy and the Hater.